When you hear the phrase first-gen American, what comes to mind? Oscar Velasquez, a first-generation American, wants to enlighten your mind to everyday life as a first-gen in today's America. There is a perception in today's society, and Oscar is going to dive in and dissect the reality of being a first-gen. Join Oscar and his guests from all walks of life, discussing their trial and tribulations in today's America. Now your host, Oscar Velasquez. Welcome to another episode of First Gen American on WSMN 1590 AM and 95.3 FM. I'm your host, Oscar Velasquez. Our special guest today, Enrique Mesa Jr., a first-generation American immigration lawyer with more than 10 years of experience managing partner with his firm based out of New Hampshire, represented clients from all over the world. He has worked hard to build relationships with law enforcement to stamp, to stamp out racial profiling. Mesa is really involved here with the Latin and Hispanic community of New Hampshire as the chair of the New Hampshire Government Advisory Commission of Latinos Affairs. As a board member of New Hampshire Legal Aid and many more other organizations, let's give it up, Enrique Mesa. How are you today? Hey, thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank I you for appreciate it. Thank you for being here. Um, I want to dive right in. There's so much to talk about. Um, but first, give us a, give us a little bit about your background. I know that your you your parents are. Uh, from Cuba. Yeah, yeah. My parents came here from uh, Cuba, and uh, and uh, I've been, you know, I was born in Miami, and um, and have that, you know, have that immigrant background. Tell us a little bit about um, the experience of your your family coming uh, f to America from Cuba. Well, uh, they came here, uh, you know, being uh, refugees, political refugees uh, from Cuba because of uh, Fidel. Mm -hmm. And um, shortly thereafter, they uh, they pretty much did the immigrant story that they came here for a better for a better life, and then um, they adjusted their status, and then they uh, became uh, U.S. citizens. I wanna I wanna point out um, that you've had um, a tremendous background, but the fact that you've actually acknowledged you know the struggles of your family coming to the united states i mean not all of us take that route but what what led you to get into law well uh what, what helped me get into law was that uh i was a political science major and uh, pretty much the uh, guidance counselor at the FI, you know, where I graduated from undergrad, uh, Florida International University, uh, they told me, look, you got two options. Either you can become a teacher or you can become a lawyer. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, you know, now <clears throat> I'm a lawyer, but I am also an adjunct professor now at the UNH School of Law. So oh, I, nice. I guess I guess it all becomes full circle. Absolutely. Uh, tell me uh, the, the pressure that you felt in place as a first gen when your family first came um, to America? Well, I think as a, yeah, I think as a growing up in Miami, I think everybody is uh, a majority of everybody is a first gen or, or some uh, derivative of, um, of Hispanic descent. So I, you know, there, there really is no 
for me anyways, there was no pressure um, that that I was a witness of, uh, that I was witness to because everybody pretty much is of the same um, you know, same descendants. So, you know, being being in Miami, growing up in Miami, we are. Uh, me and my wife actually just recently were there uh, with the family, and there's a lot of Cuban presence. Um, and I and I know growing up in Brooklyn, there's it's a melting pot in New York to to kind of blend in. Did you feel a sense of community in Miami with a, a lot of Cubans? Yeah, um, there, yeah, there, there, there is that sense of uh, community uh, w- uh, with the Cubans, and of course. You know, we we have you know Little Havana and and uh, there, there's just a lot of culture in Miami and um, everywhere you turn. Tell me, did you ever feel any? Uh, were you ever racially profiled? Even though there was a sense of community within uh, Cuban Cuban background, did you ever feel outside um, outside that community? Did you ever feel any racist uh, experience or any any form growing up in Miami? Growing, uh, no, growing up in Miami, no, and and even, it was funny that you asked that because uh, even uh, when I when I moved from Miami to uh, New Hampshire, uh, I, I remember being here the first week, um, <clears throat> the first week before I started school, and somebody uh, that is uh, close to my family they asked, hey. How's Enrique doing? Uh, you know, uh, I'm worried that he's getting uh, racially profiled up there, or or any discrimination. And I was like, no, no, I, I just I just didn't feel it, and uh, and really haven't haven't since I've been here. That's good, man. You are one of the lucky few, because uh, have you ever? I mean, now with the transition, have you ever felt like a different dynamic uh, from growing up? Well, I think. I think uh, obviously, growing up, you're uh, oblivious, oblivious to you know to discrimination and to to that type of um, attitude. And mm-hmm. then being an immigration attorney and and seeing what people have to go through uh, because of the color of their skin. Uh, or just because of how they speak and the, or the language that, that, that they speak right. and how, uh, how doors are closed for them. I think that, that I have since being an attorney and being, uh, uh, helping out the community, that, that I have witnessed. Tell me a, a moment where you were you know, where you were ever teased for speaking Spanish or English uh, from other family members, or did you ever struggle with the, uh, what we call the Spanglish? <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> the Spanglish is, uh, uh, well, I, as, <clears throat> well, I, I would, I, I remember uh, very vaguely, uh, you know, very vaguely events that, you know, p- uh, people would, you know, if somebody was speaking Spanish to me, that they would say speak English. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but at the end of the day, this is, you know, this is America, and you can, you know, use, you know, speak whatever language you want to speak. Right. 
what led what led to law, but most most importantly, immigration. Well, that that was a habistance uh, that um, basically I had graduated law school and um, I was applying for several. Uh, several jobs several firms I, I really wasn't committed to to one practice of the law and there was a boutique firm in uh, in uh, South Beach of, of all places uh, that was doing family and immigration okay and basically uh, this attorney just this attorney needed a clerk and uh, to help her out and she hired me and uh, at first, I was doing family law, but then slowly started getting into immigration, and really, uh, I was. It got to a point that I was enjoying the immigration aspect more than the family aspect, and that's that's uh, when the uh, uh, you know that's when uh, my passion for immigration started. Tell us in tell us in a small detail what what exactly does your firm do uh, to help the community. Well, you know, we're an immigration law firm, and what we try to do is that, aside from providing immigration services, we also uh, provide translations, and and we also uh, provide uh, notary services. You know, and I'm and I'm sorry, Oscar. Yeah. Also, you know, usually, a lot of people call our firm mm -hmm. because, being an immigration attorney, some some people need. Uh, a recommendation for right. either a family law attorney or yeah. a criminal law attorney. So we really try to help people uh, get the best representation they can. What, are, what kind of laws and protections are in place for anyone that's out there that's worried about their legal status, especially in our political climate right now? Anything in particular that you've noticed that uh, that, you kindly, that you currently get frequently asked uh, when approached? Well, I think the frequent the frequency that we get uh, primarily is I'm married to you know uh, usually it's a couple uh, either U.S. citizen married to uh, an immigrant either they came into the United States legally or without permission and basically they want to know what can they do uh, with their status and obviously uh, obviously a lot can be done here in the United States or or overseas but basically what we try to do is that we try to that's pretty much the number one um, the number one service that that we get we also help people when they are detained mm -hmm. and um, we also help people that want to bring loved ones uh, from overseas to the United States and are these are these loved ones that are coming from overseas um, are you currently representing the majority of the people that you're representing are you representing according to our president are you representing murderers and rapists that are crossing the border what type of clients do you represent I, I do not uh, normally what is being normally what we represent are hard-working people that are part of the community 
that want nothing more than t- an opportunity to stay here in the United States. These the American people, dream. The American dream. These people are not murderers. These people are not convicted felons. They just, they are just here. They just want a shot. And that's, and one thing I want to very, I want to stress very, very clear. In, uh, <clears throat> in the immigration process, there, there are forms. There are applications that have to be filled out. Right. Majority of these forms ask you, are, do you have any arrests here or anywhere outside the United States? So you have to declare yes or no. That's number one. Another thing, they are finger, you know, there is a fingerprint process. There is an FBI clearance check. So these people are run through databases. So if they are if they are felons here in the United States or outside, they are going to be discovered and they will be sent back. What happens? Uh, what happens if you? Um, Manny Ramirez, ladies and gentlemen. What happens if you? Uh, on those questions, if you lie and you say no, when you have indeed uh, been a felon or or have anything on your record? Well, it really depends on how grave uh, the situation is because the if it is very severe then immigration customs enforcement will be contacted and that person will be detained or their application will be denied and they will be sent to uh, the immigration uh, judge so for the for the president to to say that people are sneaking in or you know they're allowing these type of people into our country et cetera, et cetera, um, Where's the disconnect from the president saying that and then not him not trusting his administration and, you know, ICE to be able to do their background efficiently to check these people that come that are coming into the country? Well, a lot of his a lot of his uh, statements were before he was president, especially that Um, the the reality is immigration customs enforcement since his presidency has ramped up enforcement and and unfortunately it really doesn't matter if the person has a jaywalking ticket or a driving without a license ticket mm-hmm. for them they are priorities and they're going to get detained wow that, and that i believe that was through uh, jeff sessions that he's well, the one that said uh, no. I believe there was a policy that they established in place that said no, no tolerance or uh, it. It was John Kelly. John Kelly, mm-hmm. and um, how has that been, you know, in in the in your firm after after establishing that no no, I believe what they called it a no poli- no uh, no tolerance policy. Right. Um, how has that been for you know illegal immigrants that are trying to pursue that american dream here in the united states well it's very difficult because uh, you had eight years well you you had president obama and he provided this um, he provided a tolerance level for undocumented meaning that if the person didn't have any criminal activity whatsoever has family here what's the point why are you going to start proceedings against this person and basically uh, immigration customs enforcement the officers were provided a 
they, they were provided a discretionary uh, level of um, guidance in that they could choose whether they were going to detain somebody or not. With this administration, it's basically no, if you are undocumented and you're not supposed to be here, you're going to get detained. Mind you, doesn't matter the backlog that it's going to cause to the immigration court system by itself. And how, and how backlogged is it right now? Well, we have cases that are pending all the way to 2023. Wow. So, yeah, so it, it's, and it's just going to get more and more. Uh, that's my fear if mm -hmm. this president gets reelected. Tell me, tell me, we have, we might have some listeners out there, you know, first generation that were, had the privilege to be born here. And then all of a sudden their, their family members that are essential workers are in the front line of this whole pandemic. What are their rights to keep their family members intact during this pandemic and, and a fear of sending their family back to their countries, to their homelands, not knowing anybody and has, that has left everybody behind? What, what are the laws in place that can protect them in, in these times right now? Well, there really, there really isn't anything set in stone. There is no like type of discretion, like let's say like what you're saying, somebody in the front lines and they're, you know, uh, a doctor mm -hmm. or a police officer and their loved ones gets detained by immigration customs enforcement, that there really isn't no discretion uh, whether they're going to not detain this person or not. Um, I think that that would be something that would be something nice, but I, I just don't see that you know that happening now with respect to i guess the broader sense you know what happens to family that are here but then for some reason they have to go back home mm -hmm. that's that's a big that's a big question mark because as per this administration there was a uh <clears throat> there was a executive order back in june that basically makes the only priority the only visas that are going to be accepted or going to be allowed to enter the United States are those visas of US citizens uh, spouses or children that are less that are under the age of 21 years old so those are the only two that are going to wow. be able to get in so you have like let's say you have a loved one let's say you, ha you have a u.s citizen a daughter mm -hmm. that is over the age of 21 petitioning for their family let's say their family's overseas let's say they never were here let's just say that they were outside the country they want to come in well unfortunately that process even though everything's been approved every we were at the last stage of the game yep. which was the interview and that interview was canceled because of COVID. well now they're their futures on pause wow. and they have to wait maybe until next year or you know January of next year to see whether they're going to be able to even come back I mean or come into the United States and, and everything's been backlogged everything's backlogged guys you're listening to First Gen American on WSMN 1590 AM and 95.3 FM I'm your host Oscar Velasquez we have 
immigration attorney Enrique Mesa, and my co-host Manny Ramirez from Positive Street out here in Nashua. So tell me a little bit about, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole speculation, you know, about deporting each and every one individual, children included. Uh, and we're gonna get into that topic of the fourteen hundred kids that are missing because I'm I don't want to miss that. Mm-hmm. We're we're gonna dive into that. What happens when let's say an individual that doesn't have legal status is paying taxes, has his own business, his wife, a U.S. citizen, is a stay-at-home mom. The children are going to school. She relies on his income because he's the sole proprietor of that family, mm-hmm. and he gets picked up. Just going to the grocery store, getting gas, or he getting pulled over because of a quote-unquote headlight out or yeah. a taillight. Um, what happens to that family? How? What happens to the U.S. economy? Well, a lot, remember a lot of th- a lot of these times these um, these immigrants uh, they own they own these countries. I mean, I'm sorry, they own these uh, businesses, right. and they employ a lot of people. Yeah, we're we're talking we're talking about you know may, sometimes they employ maybe up to ten people at a time, and so it does hurt the economy. That's number one because guess what? These workers are not going to be getting their paychecks. That's number one. Number two, if they do get detained, we really need to see what options there are. Whether the person wants to uh, file, there's something called a cancellation of removal the other term for it is the 10-year law so the person has over 10 years in the united states and is married to a u.s citizen and can prove that that person is going to suffer from extreme and unusual hardship then they, they may have they may be a good candidate for that the other options are we could see whether they apply you know whether they uh, have some fear of going back home. What do you call that? A- asylum. Asylum. A- or, you know, we can see whether that person entered the United States with a valid visa or without a visa. Now, there's, um, if they, again, if the person entered here with a valid visa, they can, if they are married, uh, they can do what is called an adjustment of status, uh, apply for residency. The... If they entered without permission, then they're going to be very limited in their options. Like I said, cancellation of removal, asylum, or we could try to do right now under this administration, we could try to do a um, counselor processing, meaning that do the first step here, the I want uh, the spouse petition, and then do the rest of the process overseas. So. You have an you have an immigrant that has a business, employs he he has employees, fifty plus. Not only so you're telling me that not only does it affect their household, but it affects the whole structure of the company. Yeah, it affects the community. It affects uh, the bottom line, the New Hampshire bottom line. What um, I've read something. For every immigrant that's deported, that has a business. You're taking a household. You're taking a household income of eighty to a hundred thousand a year. What does that do to our economy? Well, I think it really hurts it, especially now, 
with this uh, with this whole pandemic we need every viable business to be performing because at the end of the day there we need those we need uh, at the end of the day new hampshire is going to be asking for these taxes are going to be asking for assistance because right now yes the government is helping a lot of these um businesses you know either federal or with state money but eventually you know you're going to have to start paying that that money back i saw um i was uh, watching a documentary and there was a family member that was in the apartment there was one illegal immigrant and the rest of the family were u.s citizens ice came knocked on the door and we're we're looking for that individual what are the rights that somebody that the individuals have um family members have that if ice shows up at your door and they quote unquote they they're disguising themselves as police that they have a warrant do they have every right to open the door they don't have the they have the option of not opening that door okay just because so i want I want to make very clear that what ICE has is an administrative search, you know, has an administrative warrant. Okay. They don't have a warrant by the judge. Okay. Okay. And that's basically why you really don't need to open that door if they knock on the window, uh, you know, they knock on the door. Right. Mind you, what they usually do, though to scare mm-hmm. or to confuse people they they they're usually in plain plain clothes right and then they have then they contact local PD right. and then local PD is the one that oh, is the one that knocks the door yeah. and then people are like oh this is official mm-hmm. this is something and then they open the door and then mm-hmm. ice you know hey we're gonna we're gonna detain you but well, people don't need to open that door. Okay. okay. The other, but the thing is, but there's an asterisk to that. Right. Being that, okay, you may not open that door, but that doesn't mean that ICE is not is ICE is not going to stop, you know, you know, either patrolling or circling. Oh, right. Until until they get you. What is the what is the one big thing that you get a phone call from? Uh, Hi, I have a family member that just got picked up by ICE. They were doing what? Well, majority uh, the people that call uh, were picked up uh, because of driving without a license. Mm. Now, what people just don't, what people, especially here in Nashua, uh, need to understand is that the Nashua PD is part of the Secure Communities Program, meaning that they share their database with Immigration Customs Enforcement. Mm. So, it doesn't matter how... um, it really doesn't matter if it's driving without a license or you know even worse drunk driving the reality is immigration customs enforcement are going to get notified and look there's two aspects to this that people need to understand either ice is going to come and pick you up at booking when you when you're being booked for this or you're going to go home you're going to think everything's okay mm-hmm. and then they're going to get you so it's really those two scenarios that people need to understand that that's what's going to happen. And you really can't leave your um, your guard down because 
and then that's what really happens people think that oh oh i got the i got picked up for driving without a license ice wasn't called i'm undocumented i'm okay and then two days later bam mm -hmm. ice is at the door wow. so people people just can't have their guard down and then that's when people really freak out because they let their guard down ice comes picks up their loved one and then they, you know they don't have a plan you know, I, I think that's the main thing that people need to have. They need to have a plan. Look, I was picked up for this. I need to get an immigration attorney just in case that they do pick me up, that, you know, that this attorney knows who I am, what I've done, and then move forward from there. Can, can, a, can a police officer, a regular police officer during um, a regular traffic stop, ask you these questions like you know are you yeah. an undocumented immigrant and yes they can. they can so it's just if they suspect they can ask you any of those questions yes even for can. a u.s citizen even for a u.s citizen they, if you they look they will if you don't have let's say let's say you're driving right and you don't have your you know your driver's license or or any proof of who you are there is a database that they're going to have to check on your stat you know for them to check your status to mm -hmm. see whether you are actually you know in the country here legally is, is that um is that database updated currently because let's say you 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 have you were at one point here illegal now you have pen, pending paperwork and you're you're in the clear not not so far safe but you're comfortable enough to be like all right i'm i'm moving in the right direction to do this right that database, how that I understand, is just for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. So, so if, if you're like, if for some reason you don't have any paperwork, then you're gonna have problems. What um, what's the right way of, of, of going about this? Are people really crossing through the borders? What is the majority of people that that come here to the United States? Are they crossing the borders? Are they flying? Well, it, well, from my vantage point, you know, I have both. Uh, I have people that are crossing the border and asking for asylum. Or I have people that, you know, come through the airplane or come through the border, mm -hmm. uh, the Canadian border, and with valid visas and applying for a status that way. What's the, what's the process on, you know, getting your residency or becoming a u.s citizen well uh the process so the process of becoming um I'll, I'll talk about permanent residency and then right go from there so permanent residency used to take about a good four or five months here mm -hmm. in the state of new hampshire mind you we are the we are low volume state so that's why it goes that quickly um but with respect to this COVID, obviously it's slowed down the process. So if the person, so for uh, residency, so if a person is married to a U.S. citizen, they have to prove that they are a couple. They have to prove that they are factually in a bona fide relationship. How do you do that? You do that with paperwork. You do that with lease agreements. You do that with bank statements. You do that with, and but the thing is, what people don't understand is it's very difficult. So 
now when you file, you have to file with all these documents. You have to file with bank statements, with lease agreements. But the problem here, especially here in New Hampshire, a lot of people don't want to give lease agreements because you don't have a social security. Mm. It's very hard also for bank statements. A lot of people don't want to open, uh, a lot of banks don't want to open bank accounts because you don't have a social security. So that's where, you know, that's where we come in. Mm. We try to help fam, you know, we try to help these families, you know, okay, all right, this bank is no good, but this bank will help you. And we try to help, we try to provide a very good package to immigration because what we don't want is we don't want a request for evidence and then this process lags even more the other thing is with the adjustment of status is you the petitioner the US citizen they need to demonstrate that they have sufficient income to petition for this for the immigrant but how can you do that without a social security no 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 I'm saying that the US citizen okay so the US citizen has to show that they make enough that they can sustain themselves sustain themselves and, and that significant exactly other. now so, mm-hmm. sorry to interrupt now all these fees you know i'm i'm going i'm let's say i'm an illegal illegal immigrant i'm i'm tr- i'm going for this process mm-hmm. what does something like that cost sorry so uh right now let's say let's say you want to do the uh adjust you, you want to do the adjustment of status. Mm-hmm. Right now, those fees are $1,760. Okay. But, of course, everything's going up. Significant. Especially especially with the naturalization, the citizenship. That is going way up. Okay. Right now, for the citizenship, it was, it was uh, right now, it's at seven, with the biometric fees and everything, it's at $725. Now, I believe it's going up to, I th- right here, I got it right here. I think it's 1,000, You guys are listening to First Gen American on WSMN 1590 AM and 95.3 FM. I'm your host, Oscar Velasquez, Enrique Mesa Jr., immigration attorney right here in the state of New Hampshire, and my co-host, Manny Ramirez. So right now the, the so right now they're <clears throat> they're going to be increasing the fee to uh, it's going to be total one thousand one hundred and seventy dollars from seven hundred yeah from seven twenty five huh I mean you can't work because you don't have the proper documentation you don't have a social security mm-hmm. you're trying to sustain how can you afford all of this you don't I mean do Do loved ones, I mean, if you don't have the loved ones that have that financial um, stability to be able to, you know, fork up that money, and the process is so long, I mean, do you think, you uh, do people feel discouraged? I'm like, a $1,000 that I don't have right now, and then, you know, I might be picked up going out to, going out to my car, driving, or getting groceries, bringing my, my loved one to an appointment, or my baby to the appointment. I mean, that's tough. Well, I think... Well, but I think that's what this administration wants. Yeah. This administration, honestly, they just want people to be tired. That they're not going to continue doing the process. Or that they're not going to have the fees, like you said, necessary in order to pay 
in order to uh, to finalize this process. Speaking about children and, and babies, and is it true that you know res, uh, illegal immigrants come and they come mm-hmm. as tourists, and then all of a sudden they have children, mm-hmm. and then you know our president called it anchor babies. Mm-hmm. How often do you see that, and is that true? Well, I do. Yeah, I have seen it. I have seen people come to this country and then eventually they fall in love with this country and then they have their families here. Yeah. I don't necessarily call them anchor babies. Um, I just, I think that at the end of the day, uh, there are, are some situations where you do see that people are, you know, they have their babies here and they, then they come, they go back and forth, go yeah. back and forth. I think that I, I've, I've seen it very rarely. You know, and, you and and just to just to add to that, really, I see more of the the contradict contradiction in that that they come here into this country. Like I said earlier, they just want to you know they fall in love with this country. They want to stay here, and then they start having their life here. Right. So that that's what I usually see. For I've seen a, a lot of situations where you know. Parents are, you know, they don't have their status in place. They they're not U.S. citizens. Their children were born and raised here. They've gone to college. They've gone to school. All of a sudden, their parent is getting picked up and they're getting sent back to their country. And then their their uh, their family members, you know, the the ones that are U.S. citizens, will go back with them mm-hmm. because that's all they know. They want to stick together as a family. Mm-hmm. What happens to the families that are coming from um, overseas? You know, they. They, they're sacrificing themselves uh, days and nights through the desert or they're coming through a plane and then all of a sudden all of the family members are separated and picked up by ICE here. How does that happen? How does an administration, how does ICE or the U.S. Marshal, how do they lose 1,400 kids that are, that are being detained basically in, in, in a cage? Well... So basically what usually happens is that people are coming from different countries, you know, sometimes from Central American like Honduras or El Salvador, and they go up, they go up all the way to Mexico, and then they um, give themselves up to immigration authorities, in this case would be Customs Border Patrol, mm-hmm. and then it's up to DHS, Department of Homeland Security, and Customs Border Patrol to house these immigrants uh, while they're in the process. Now, you know, with this administration, predominantly, they were, they wanted to make an example that you shouldn't be coming to this country, period. And they wanted to uh, basically make these families lives a living hell and they basically separated these families on purpose as a as a way of punishment and as we have seen it was it was a horrible measure that they did because you had like you said parents deported back to their back to their country without their loved ones without their whole family and then what do you do 
th these these parents I mean these children are without their parents for several weeks for several months or in this case they don't know where they are so it's uh, it, it's very uh, it's very frustrating it was a very frustrating uh, gut wrenching mm -hmm. gut wrenching to say the least but also I wanna I wanna stress how this COVID has really made this process for for these immigrants even harder meaning that a lot of these people that come through the border okay well they have to give up their passports to DHS Department of Homeland Security and Department of Homeland Security is not going to give up is not going to give it back to them because it's part of their uh, it's going to be part of their investigation so so they're going so now these immigrants are here with maybe just a copy of their passport they don't have any identification so now because of the covid a lot of these cons a lot of these consulates have been closed so they can't ask for a passport so it's it's just a very frustrating um it's just very frustrating uh time if you're an immigrant because you know like we have several clients right now that applied for asylum and now they are in the stage of trying to get their work permits and they can't get a work permit because they don't have a valid identification and you can't call ICE uh, for that and you can't call the consulate for that and it would have it would be nice if the state of New Hampshire w would be lenient and would at least provide if not a driver's license or you know at least an ID card but unfortunately they don't they don't have that procedure here in New Hampshire mind you Vermont a lot more lenient to immigrants a lot more caring but unfortunately the state of New Hampshire is just very very conservative and it's very very uh, stringent when it comes to immigrants especially helping them Speaking about law enforcement, uh, what do you think about preparing law enforcement training for racial profiling? Is it is it in effect? Well, I, or I is think, it effective? As well, right I think I think from where we were, because I'm you know part of we you know uh, part of a uh, governor's commission of uh, advisory commission of Latino affairs. Mm -hmm. uh, which started with uh, Governor Lynch and continue with uh, with Governor Hassan but the rea but the reality is under un when we were part of that advisory commission there was a lot that was done there was a lot that was a positive stuff that was done to stop to combat racial profiling uh, case in point I think uh, the city of Hudson. I think a lot of Hispanics were really scared of going into that uh, city, mm -hmm. and uh, and now I'm seeing a lot of a lot of Hispanics actually live in Hudson now. Yeah. And so, so I, I'm glad to you know I'm hoping that uh, our work has attributed to that, breaking down that barrier. With your work in law enforcement. I do see the relationship between law enforcement and communities improving, especially in our social climate. Um, what do you feel like it moving forward? Uh, do you feel that 
the disconnect between law enforcement. I know that um, Latinos, they're always, there's a stigma between Latinos and police departments, you know, legal status and kind of just being racially profiled. Do you think that there's an opportunity still within the state? And, and, and do you feel that there's efforts within legislation to be able to kind of broaden the spectrum and, and, and bring that attention? Well, I don't know about <clears throat> I don't know about the legislation. I, I, I think more in the local level, I think that that there has been a lot of efforts from within the community to try to stamp out racial profiling. I just personally think that the, the best way moving forward for these local um, these local police officers, uh, local police is for them not to be part of uh, any secure communities program or any type of program that basically shares your information with Immigration Customs Enforcement because then I think and unfortunately I, I do think that the Immigration Customs Enforcement I do think that they do profile and they do look for you know the last names Hernandez or Rodriguez mm. when they're when they're at the courthouses you know that's you know how aware are you of the response of uh, of, of New Hampshire and the issues of immigration and do you feel like it's getting better I'm sorry I didn't understand how how, how how in regarding to the, the the immigration do you feel like the issues within the state are getting better I think so. I think that there's more talk. And I think that's something positive. It's, I would like to see where this talk goes to. Because right now, I think there's a lot of talk of, you know, trying to see if, if, um, uh, if we can get a, a driver licenses uh, for undocumented. I think that would be a big step in the right direction and instead of having all these you know dragged out court you know, right. uh, um, and court fees you know t for us to actually have a system in place that actually helps undocumented as opposed to oh great you know we're gonna have you know the state's gonna get two hundred dollars more you know because this guy keeps on driving i i, I just right. it's kind of frustrating because unfortunately look undocumented people work that's that's always gonna be the 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 issue mm -hmm. and they rather unfortunately they rather drive without permission than than hire an Uber driver mm. because they're because they're strapped for cash right. and they want to earn every they want to earn all that money mm -hmm. and they want to obviously either help out their family here in the United States or send it back home right. and um, you know and the reality is they you know a lot of these people just you know they just like to, they just drive and sometimes i tell them you shouldn't be driving right. that's the you really shouldn't you you really should call an uber driver you know there there really are not that much uh i know because of the covid it's made this it's made you know this situation even worse but it, it's 
I, I really hope that the state of New Hampshire, and I hope the legislation, uh, the legislation. I, I I really hope that they could provide something for undocumented immigrants to for them not to be in the shadows and for them to be able to continue to be productive members of the community. Excellent. You said um, most immigrants they work, and that's true. We know loved ones. I mean, we might know a loved one that is a hard worker it's out there contributing to contributing to the community as well um but there in this pandemic i i heard a friend uh, her father was working at a restaurant didn't he didn't have health care no no means no opportunity or no means or uh resources to go get tested while he was in this restaurant he was working and there was a cook that got an, uh, that got infected with COVID, and he's battling for his life right now. And do you you talk? We talk about driver's license. Why isn't there a lot of talk about healthcare and providing healthcare? Because at the end of the day, these are humans. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And and yes, they 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 need to they need the means of transportation to go from point A to point B. But they need to be healthy as well. And if they're contributing, I mean, and they're paying, and some of these business owners, because most of them are business owners, they deserve to be able to have insurance, health insurance, especially if they're if they're asking for asylum. Then they're battling with some type of mental health. You know what I'm saying, or 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 leaving their country from, in a situation mm-hmm. from from something that they're scared about and mm-hmm. and, they're, and a lot of trauma. Yeah. So I think that healthcare is important. Of course, it it, it is, and unfortunately, you know, like you said, there really hasn't been uh, that much discussion about giving undocumented uh, healthcare. You know, we had it with, you know, unfortunately with uh, President Obama, his his um, the Affordable Care Act is only for permanent residence not for undocumented right so but i do think i i do agree with you that there's a a big part big chunk in this uh in this um country that don't have health care and they have to pay out of pocket and it's a lot of money and especially if you get the covid i know we dived a little deep into the status and 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 how everything goes um and this is what the show is all about. You know, it's about not forgetting the sacrifices of our of our family members that have left everything behind for that American dream, or if not, to push us forward to give us that that opportunity and becoming U.S. citizens. Between a swinging pendulum, I'm I'm a big I'm a big advocate on that uh, on this show. Um, I'm definitely you know, with everything said. I love to see that person striving for that American dream and deserve the right opportunity. And if we can educate and and move and move forward into not being afraid, but just just to have a human decency, just to connect with these people, and not be afraid of them trying to take our jobs or or they must be murderers or 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 rapists that are coming to this country. But truly, the people that have the least are the most giving. And if you ever just got the time to sit down and talk to these individuals mm-hmm. and learn about their stories and their sacrifices 
you would have a different perspective about them. It's true. So you guys are listening to First Gen American on WSMN 1590 AM and 95.3 FM. I know we dived a lot um, into this whole topic, and I appreciate you coming in. Uh, what's your favorite restaurant in New Hampshire right now? <laughs> now you come uh, from a Cuban background. There's no yeah, Cuban restaurants. There's, there's an no opportunity. Cuban, I know. There's, an, I there's know. an opportunity for that. I know. that. Uh, I wish. I, I know that there's a... Uh, here in Nashua, I've been wanting to go. There's, uh, I think, a rum bar. Or, oh, rum bar, yep. Right yeah. down the street. Right yeah. down the street. Yeah. That... That, that we we haven't got sponsors yet, so I don't want to plug in anybody <laughs> in until they cut me a check. <laughs> no, but Rum Bar is really good. Um, we know the bartender, the magician, Jared. Um, shout out to Jared. Shout out yeah. to Jared. <laughs> well, um, tell us a little, a uh, little way of uh, of Im- Im- involvement uh, that people can get involved, and how can they reach you? Well, they can reach us at uh, they can reach us at. Uh, 603-296-2222 or they can reach us at our website at mesalaw.com um, Today is a, is a historic day in, in, our, in our country and it's 9-11 and we all know where we were at that moment but there's, uh, there's people that woke up today and didn't know that it was going to be their last day and it was a, it was a, it was a significant moment in, in history for this country and we love being American and, and we love this country and we want to pay uh, pay respects to those people so I want to give a moment of silence to everybody uh, that has lost a loved one uh, at 9-11 in New York City Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, Enrique Mesa, immigration lawyer, Manny Ramirez with his phone. Keep going off, so he's got to go. First-gen American, another great show. I'm your host, Oscar Velasquez, WSMN 1590 AM, 95.3 FM, every Friday at 11. Thank you so much. Have a great Friday. Stay safe. WSM.